Yeah. This be a life, no gimmick. going on everybody and welcome back to the triple s podcast on this beautiful saturday afternoon i am your host brandon smith and today's episode we are going to be talking about the nfl draft which is upcoming i'll give you guys a little bit of details about my upcoming uh mock draft and i'm so glad i didn't make another one uh because there was just a bunch of trades that happened with regards to the nfl draft yesterday that included my team the miami dolphins uh lots of shakeups in the top 12 so we're going to talk about those shakeups as well, get you ready for my mock draft. Uh, then we're going to switch gears, talk a little bit about the UFC event that is going down tonight. Headlined by the rematch, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou, number two, the biggest, baddest rematch. That's how it's being advertised. Cannot wait for that one. But with that being said, let's jump right on into this content. And we're going to go back and we're going to start off talking about the NFL draft. So as I said, there was a ton, a ton, a ton of shakeups that happened yesterday with regards to the NFL draft in 2021 involving the Miami Dolphins, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the San Francisco 49ers. So to give you guys a rundown, before yesterday, the Miami Dolphins held the number three overall pick, the Philadelphia Eagles held the number six overall pick, and the San Francisco 49ers held the number 12 overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Now the first trade that went down was a big one. So the Miami Dolphins traded the number three pick to the San Francisco 49ers and they got an absolute haul. So like I said, they sent the number three pick over to San Francisco and in return, they got the number 12 pick in this year's draft. They got a first rounder in next year's 2022 draft from San Francisco. They also got a first rounder in the draft after that in 2023 as well. So two additional first round picks on top of the first round pick swap. They also threw in a 2022 third round pick. So for those of you who are like me and, you know, when you just hear those things, you may think, well, who won that trade? You know, it sounds like Miami won, but who really won? What I like to use is the good old trusty uh, NFL trade value chart for the draft. Now, when you go in and you look at it, the number three pick is worth 2,200 points. So 2,200 uh, the number 12 pick is worth 1,200, so it's nice and easy. It's about a 1,000-point difference between those two picks. Now, it becomes a bit tricky because we don't know where San Francisco's first rounder will be next year. We don't know where it'll be the year after that, uh, and we don't know where the third rounder will be next year either, so it's hard to estimate exactly where, uh, how much value those picks will be. Now, assuming San Francisco you know, is a, is a pretty solid team, uh, we can assume they'll be somewhere in the 20s. So the, the pick number 20 is worth about 850 points. Um, if you drop down to 25, it's about 720. So I think that's about their range, give or take a little bit. If they boom and they do really well, they can end up higher, you know, closer to the 20, uh, closer to the 30s, excuse me. But if they have a collapse, similar to how Houston had a collapse when Miami had their first rounder, I could see them being as high as, you know, 16, 14, maybe even 13. And those picks are worth... Uh, just around a thousand dollars, a thousand points, excuse me. Now, like I said, there there is a lot of wiggle room in terms of where that pick could land. But one thing I do like is that even if San Francisco were to win the Super Bowl the next two years, the thirty-second uh, pick is worth five hundred ninety points. So if we did five ninety times two, that would be eleven eighty, I believe. Uh, let me just make sure my mental math is correct here. So let's go five. 
uh, let's see, that's 590. 590 times 2 is 1180. Look at that. Mental math still on fleek. So, like I said, the difference between number 3 and number 12 is 1,000. So, even if the 49ers were to win back-to-back -back Super Bowls and we got back-to-back -back 32 overall picks in Miami, they would still, from a value standpoint, uh, in, in, in a sense, win the trade. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, which makes it even more of a sweet deal for Miami. And on top of that, you throw in a third-round pick. So in terms of third-round picks, just to give you guys an idea, uh, about the 16th pick of the third round is, a, is worth 190. So middle of the pack, about 190. First pick of the third round, 265. Last pick of the third round, about 84. So there's a, there's a decent drop-off there. So if we take the absolute low-ball numbers... We take 590 times 2 for those two first-round picks. If San Fran were to win the Super Bowl in consecutive years, which, again, do not think that's going to happen. And then we added 84 to that, uh, assuming that the comp compensatory pick that they got, the third-rounder in next year's draft, is the absolute lowest. That equals 1264, which is still above the 1,000 that they gave up going from 3 to 12. So even if they get the absolute worst possible picks, they would still, from a value standpoint, come out on top. Now, you might be thinking, well, 32, that's not a great draft pick. And you're right, it's it's not a great draft pick, but it's still a very, very, very good draft pick. And as soon as you have that first round attached to a draft pick, what some people may not know is that you also get the benefit of having a fifth-year option on those rookies. So if you're a second-round pick, you know you could be picked 30, 33, and you don't get that fifth-year option. If you're pick 32, you do. So that's something that teams would like to have. So I think that adds a bit of value as well. Now, in a more realistic sense, I think that the overall value that they're going to get is going to be somewhere closer to 16 to 1800 points, which that's even better. You're getting 18 or sorry, 800 extra points, which equals, in essence, an extra first rounder. That would be 21 overall is worth 800 points. So a lot of numbers being thrown around, thrown around there. Sorry if it's confusing, but uh, just trying to break it down in the best way that I think I can. So you might be thinking, wow, that was a huge trade. Miami just made a big move. San Francisco just made a big move, moving up from 12 to 3. They're potentially going to take their replacement for Jimmy G, try and make that next step. But the Miami Dolphins were not done there. They actually went ahead and made another trade in this 2021 NFL draft, and they moved back up. So... As a Miami fan, I, was, I wasn't I was too, too upset when they traded back to 12 because you could still get a very quality player there. We got draft picks in the first round for the next two drafts, which is huge. I love that. Uh, you'd have two first rounders in 2022 and 2023. But Brian Flores and Chris Greer were not done there. They decided, you know, we're going to move back up into the top 10. And they called the Philadelphia Eagles. They traded pick number 12, the one they just got. Uh, they traded pick number 23, or sorry, 123, in this year's draft, which I believe is a fourth rounder. And they traded the 2022 first round pick that they own. They kept San Francisco's, which to me is very telling. And uh, I'll get to that in a second. So they traded San Francisco, or their own 2022 first round pick, 123 overall, and number 12 for number six from the Philadelphia Eagles, and number 156. So basically, they traded up in the first round. They traded their fourth round pick for a fifth round pick. So they moved back one round in this year's draft uh, in that sense. And they gave away uh, their own 2022 first round pick. 
Now, you might be wondering, why wouldn't they give up San Fran's first-round pick? They just got it. It was basically free. To me, that just shows how much confidence Brian Flores and Chris Greer have in their own team. That they would say, we're going to be better than San Francisco is. So that means that our 2022 first-round pick is going to be higher, uh, a higher number. It's going to be closer to, you know, it's going to be pick 32, let's say. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And San Fran's first-round pick that we're keeping is going to be much lower so that just shows to me how much confidence that the Dolphins have in Tua, how much confidence they have in their roster as a whole, and I absolutely love it. And in that process, they also moved up to number six, where there's going to be so many good players available. When you look at the top five now, um, the top three could very well be a run on quarterbacks. Jacksonville, most likely a quarterback. The Jets, most likely a quarterback. San Fran moving up to three, most likely for a quarterback. Yeah, Atlanta Falcons, kind of a wild card, not too sure there. Maybe a quarterback as well. And then you look at number five, the Cincinnati Bengals, they already have their guy. So if if the first four players drafted are quarterbacks and you're the Dolphins and you don't need a quarterback, you could realistically be getting the second best player on the board at number six if you don't have any quarterbacks on your board, which is truly amazing in my opinion. One thing that I and one thing that I thought was very cool about this whole thing is that it went down literally as Zach Wilson was throwing dimes at his pro day. I wasn't the biggest Zach Wilson fan. I was one of those who knocked his competition level and didn't think I saw too much. But after watching his pro day, looking a little bit more at his highlights, looking a little bit more at his measurables, uh, Zach Wilson is a fantastic pro- prospect. And it was it was really funny because. As Daniel Jeremiah and the other guys that were being the commentators for his pro day were commentating, that's when the trade information came out for the two trades. Both those trades happened as Zach Wilson was throwing at his pro day. So I don't know, maybe if I'm going to put on my conspiratorial hat, not really a conspiracy, but perhaps, you know, the San Francisco 49ers were sitting there at uh, Zach Wilson's pro day and said, oh my God, we can really use this guy. He's way better than Jimmy G. Maybe they were even talking to the other people, the Miami Dolphins scout perhaps that was at the BYU Pro Day. Listen, hey, let's swing a deal here. So I'm not sure, but uh, definitely interesting. So speaking of Zach Wilson's Pro Day, I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, like I said before, he was throwing absolute dimes. There's a couple of uh, clips that I saw. I did watch the whole 30-minute clip that they have on YouTube, but a couple individual throwing clips that really stood out to me were... One where he drops back, rolls left, he's a right-handed quarterback, and throws a post that's going from left to right. Now he throws it across his body, and it just has the absolute perfect touch. It's about 50 yards down the field, and he drops it right into the receiver's hands. Now there's another clip where he does pretty much the opposite. He rolls right and throws a post that's going from right to left. And those are throws that if you've ever played football or thrown a football, That's not an easy throw. To throw left when you're running right and to throw right when you're running left, especially the latter of what I just said when you're a right-handed quarterback, those are hard throws to make. And he did it looking so effortlessly to the point where I think that every scout and every uh, every NFL team that was in attendance probably had some thoughts and like, wow, this guy's really good. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should think about making a move for Zach Wilson. He looked very, very good. And for as good as his throwing was, I honestly think my favorite part about Zach Wilson's pro day is how calm and composed and cool he looked. He looked like this was normal. It was just another day. 
This is what I do. I just throw dimes running across my body on the other side of the field. It, it didn't look like he was, was straining on any of the throws. His throwing motion looks effortless. Very, very impressed by Zach Wilson's pro day. And one last thing on Zach Wilson's pro day. I think that there's a lot of debate uh, between Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. Who's the QB2? Uh, there's even some people who believe Zach Wilson is QB1, which you never know. It, it all comes down to how these teams view these players, uh, not just as players, but as people as well, because you're going to be the face of a franchise if you're taking top five as a quarterback. But there's a lot of debate between Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. Who's better? And one thing that I find very interesting is that so Zach Wilson just had his pro day yesterday, March 26th. Justin Fields and the Ohio State pro day will be on March 30th, which is coming up in three days from now. So uh, I'm not sure if, if I would say this puts pressure on Justin Fields, but it's definitely going to make it a much more interesting watch to see how he does. People are going to dissect every little thing he does compared to Zach Wilson. Uh, one thing that I think that Justin Fields does have going in his favor over Zach Wilson is his athleticism and his speed uh, now you might be saying well you know, Zach Wilson's very athletic as well he did not run his 40 which could be because you know they just want to save his legs but Justin Fields does plan on running his 40 at his pro day and in a warm-up 40 uh, the other day he ran a 4-4-1 and with without batting an eye without looking like he was you know lying or anything like that he looked straight at the camera after and he said oh I'll be in the four threes by by my actual pro day and I believe him because he's the type of guy that works very, very hard. I'm sure he's training on that 40 uh, to the best of his ability with his coaches and stuff like that. So I think by his pro day, he'll be, you know, at the slowest, he'll probably be like a 4-4 flat, maybe a 4-3-9. And I think that that might blow some coaches away and may give him the edge, especially if he throws well as well, uh, to be potentially pick number two to the Jets or whoever trades up to that pick. Alright, so now I want to switch gears and talk about this UFC card that is coming up later today, and it is a big one, and the fact that I just said it out loud and said that it's today kind of gave me the goosebumps, if I'm being honest. Uh, this is a fantastic, fantastic main card. Uh, now the prelims, they could be great. It's Again, if you guys have watched multiple episodes, you might notice a trend. There's a lot of times on the prelims where there's not many names that I know. Uh, on the early prelims, there's just one fight. Not sure of any of the fighters. Uh, the prelims, don't recognize any names either. And then on the main card, even the first fight, I don't know either of the fighters. But um, nonetheless, I'm going to be watching from top to bottom, try and learn some new fighters, see who's good, who's up and coming, stuff like that. Uh, but when we get to this main card, ladies and gentlemen, this is a hell of a card. So to start it off... We have Stipe, well not to start it off, but at the top of the card we have Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. Stipe, who is the greatest heavyweight to ever fight, you know, he has eight title defense, or eight title wins, I should say. Uh, six of them are by KO, I believe, two by decision. Then you have Francis Ngannou on the other side, who is the scariest. I, although Derek Lewis has more KOs, I think Francis Ngannou is the scariest heavyweight that there's ever been. So you have... The greatest versus the scariest. That's why they call it the biggest, baddest rematch. And the fact that they fought before. This one is going to be a fantastic fight. Not sure how to call it. Uh, if Francis can get his paws on him early and land some big power shots, I think anybody's lights go out. But 
When you look at that first fight, Stipe Miocic had great head movement. He was able to avoid the big shots for the most part. You know, Francis did land a couple, but Stipe does have a great chin. Uh, so it's it's really, really tough to call. Excited for that one. Then in the co-main event, we have Tyron Woodley, who's on a losing streak right now, going up against Vincente Luque, who is an up-and-coming guy. So this one is, is really, really, really interesting as well because Tyron Woodley, in a sense, he's fighting for for a lot more than just getting to 26-1. and one. He's fighting for his reputation. He's fighting to get back into everyone's uh, respectable books. And Vincente Luque, he's on the rise. He's looking to make a name for himself and say, listen, all these top guys have beat Tyron Woodley, you know, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington. There's been some some top guys to beat Tyron Woodley. I want to join that upper echelon. I want to beat him as well. And this fight to me is so, so big because if Tyron Woodley does lose this fight, then you might start getting those calls from Dana White. Like, listen, man, uh, you're 38. It may be time to call it. You know, I, I don't I don't know if I want to keep having you fight and keep having you lose to these guys. And if Tyron Woodley wins, that could be the beginning of a resurgence. You know, the, there's been some resurgences in the past in the UFC. This could be the next one. You never know. So it's, it's really tough to tell. And for Vincente Luque, if he wins, I think he's the number 10 ranked welterweight right now. He could, you know, shoot himself up close to that top five into the title fight slash title contention fight range where anything can happen in those fights then we move to the fight before that and it's another one that gives me goosebumps it's at bantamweight we have sugar sean o'malley taking on thomas almeida that one if you guys didn't see the stare down for that fight i highly suggest you go on google or youtube and type in sean o'malley versus thomas almeida stare down that gave me the chills sugar sean o'malley looks locked and loaded ready to go He's the much taller man. He's going to have a range advantage as well. Uh, and one thing about Sean O'Malley that a lot of people have been talking about these last few days, he's 12-1. He was 12-0 before he fought uh, Cheeto Vera, where he lost because of uh, a couple leg kicks that hit a nerve, apparently. He's making a bunch of excuses, and he's even said that as far as he's concerned, he's still undefeated because Cheeto Vera didn't beat him because of his skill. Uh, I think that's kind of a lame cop-out, honestly, but I still do like Sean O'Malley. Still super excited to watch him fight. Never seen Thomas Almeida fight, but heard good things about him, so excited to see how this one goes down. And there's a lot on the line because they've both been talking a little bit. Sean O'Malley loves to talk, so we're going to see if he can get back on the winning train, and we're going to see what Thomas Almeida is really made of. And then the fight before that, we have a women's flyweight fight between Jillian Robertson and Miranda Maverick. Miranda Maverick made her UFC debut a couple weeks ago and got a resounding win. Super excited to see her fight again. And uh, I believe Jillian Robertson is number 15 ranked in women's flyweight. And uh, to me, this is a fight where the UFC is kind of trying to say, listen, Miranda Maverick is legit. We're going to put her up against a ranked opponent. She'll, she should get this win, and it'll probably move her up into that top 15. Well, it has to move her up into the top 15, because if she beats 15, then she's obviously better than 15. But maybe she even moves up higher than 15. We'll have to see how that goes down. And the first fight, the opening fight of the main card, is uh, men's lightweight Jamie Malarkey versus Kama Worthy. Sorry if I said that name wrong. Uh, this is a fight where I'm not sure of either guy, but... Excited to see how it goes, excited to learn about them, and find out what they're all about. Now, before we sign off, 
I just want to go through the next few UFC fight cards and just tell you who's out uh, headlining these fight cards and just basically doing this to show how how blessed we're going to be as UFC fans. So tonight we have a hell of a card. We have Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. You know, the baddest man on the planet will be crowned tonight. It's going to be super exciting to see that. Then when we move on into April, Saturday, April 10th, we have a card headlined by Marvin Vittori and Darren Till. Darren Till, number four ranked uh, middleweight. Marvin Vittori, number five ranked. Huge, huge fight in the middleweight conversation. And not to mention on that same card, we have Mackenzie Dern fighting Nina Ansaroff. Nina Ansaroff is Amanda Nunes' wife. Her first fight back since giving birth to their beautiful daughter. And we have Platinum Mike Perry, my guy, the psycho. He's going to be on that card as well. So great card to start off April. Then we moved. Then the week after April 17th, we have a card headlined by Robert Whitaker against Kelvin Gasolum. That was originally supposed to be Whitaker versus Paulo Costa, but he got uh, sick or something. Maybe he drank too much wine. I'm not really sure. Then we move on to April 24th, the week after, and we have a fight at the the first fight I believe that's going to have a crowd. This one is in Jacksonville, UFC 261, Camaro Usman versus Jorge Masvidal, number two. And this is another card with three title fights. So April 24th, we have Usman versus Masvidal 2. Zhang Wei Li versus Rose Namajunas for the women's strawweight uh, strap. Then we have women's flyweight, uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade. Not to mention, before that, we have Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman at, at middleweight. Huge fight as well. And we're not done. We move on to May 1st. We have a uh, fight card with Dominic Reyes, who just lost recently to uh, Jan Blahovic, fighting for the light heavyweight title. He's going to look to make his return to kick off the month of May in a huge way. Then moving on in May, April and May, let me just say, two amazing months for the UFC. So that was May 1st, uh, Reyes. Then we move to May 8th, the week after, Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw at Bantamweight. That I, that one is absolutely nuts. Corey Sanhagen has been on a tear. He's number two ranked. TJ Dillashaw, former champion, coming back off suspension. So many headlines for this one. Cannot wait. Then we have the vacant lightweight title the next week, Saturday, May 15th, between Charles Oliveira, Charles Bronx, and uh, Michael Chandler coming over from Bellator. Moving on to the next week, May 22nd. We have another Bantamweight scrap between top five guys. Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font. Huge, huge fights coming up in the UFC. And I cannot wait to watch all of them. So that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love. appreciate all the support. If you're on YouTube, go down and drop a comment what you thought about this episode. Tell me what you thought about the Miami Dolphins trades with regards to the NFL draft with the Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers. What do you think of uh, Zach Wilson, you know, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields? How do you rank those three guys? Let me know in the comments section below. Follow us on Instagram at the Triple S Podcast for details on when episodes are dropping and stuff like that. Uh, but with that being said, I'm out for this one. Thank you, guys. Peace. Yeah. This be a life, no gimmick.